he has ever known unless he became a Christian. When he becomes a Christian, his life has been transplanted. Now he is picked up literally out of one past and he's placed into a relationship with Jesus Christ and now he has a past that is 2,000 years old. He has a past that goes all the way back to Jesus Christ. He has a new set of roots. And Jesus Christ goes even further back than 2,000 years ago because it was the prophets that foretold Jesus and, and it, was, it was the patriarchs that was a part of the lineage of Jesus. And remember, it was even that the redemption that you and I enjoy through Jesus was in the mind of, the, of God before the very foundation of the earth. Do you realize that when you and I become a Christian and we're transplanted out of the past where we would say, well, I've just always talked like that. I, I can't help it. I'm coarse. Oh, I've just always had those vices. I've just always been a selfish person. I've always been pride-filled. I've always been arrogant. I've always been a sinner. I've always been a worldly person. And the Lord is saying, I can transplant you. I can pick you up. And I can place you in a different today that is tied to a different past. So now you will act different based upon your history. Friends, do you see the fact Christianity is historical and us having roots that go back to Christ makes all the difference. You got the lesson, but let's see it from God's Word. And I challenge you to keep every fiber of your roots tied back to Christ. Because when we know our roots of yesterday... And yesteryear, the past millenniums, then we know who we are today. I'm a child of God. I'm a brother or sister of Jesus Christ. And that's what sets our direction, our identity, and helps us take the steps that are righteous toward tomorrow. One place we can get just a glimpse of this is when Paul says, there's some things that send me to my knees. When you pray for the church family here, does it send you to your knees? And what do you pray for? We need to pray for each other of physical aspects and emotional aspects and, and things of that nature. But isn't it interesting to study Paul's prayers and see that what sent him to his knees was praying for the spiritual aspect of the church and of his brothers and sisters. And notice that in verse 14 of Ephesians, the third chapter. It's page 1039 of the Bibles that's in your pews. 1039 or Ephesians, the third chapter. Look in verse 14. He says, For this reason... I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And that beautiful thing of the church being a family? And he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. So when we're asking God to grant us something, we're going to the biggest bank in the world. You can't bankrupt God. God has glorious riches available. And he's saying, I just want you to ask. I you're part of my family. You're my children. I want you to ask for these things. So Paul is asking on behalf of the others. But notice what he asked in 16. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Where are your roots? Are your roots in the love of God? 
rooted and grounded in the love. Well, what is this love? Look at 18. This is important to Paul. He is praying saying, I want my church family to understand where their roots should be and how tremendous the love of God is to have our roots there. He wants us to comprehend in verse 18 that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints, that's all of us Christians, with all the saints, what is the width, what is the length, what is the depth, and what is the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And we could go on with this beautiful prayer. But for this lesson, do you see what Paul is saying? Paul's going to his knees and he's praying. He says, I want my brothers and sisters, I want the saints to know that if their roots can be in Christ, if they can understand the length and the width and the depth and the height of the love of Christ, they're going to remember who they are. They're going to know who they are today and the steps they take tomorrow. Not because of human experience, because now they have been transplanted into the Christian faith. Anytime we separate Christ from our religion, we, we walk away with a moral law, a code of ethics, but it's not Christianity. You could take the teachings of Buddha and you could separate them from Buddha and you would still have that religion. You cannot take the teachings of Jesus Christ and separate them from Christ and have Christianity. Christianity's roots are tied to the Savior. And when we know that, and we remember that, we then have an identity that is powerful to us. Sometimes this faith isn't so simple, though. If you would, go to the book of Habakkuk. It's 826 in the Bible that's in your pews. The book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk went through a very difficult time. He was living in a very difficult time, and, and he had a lot of questions because he wasn't understanding why the people that were wicked seemed to prosper while the people who were righteous seemed to be the ones that were suffering. And eventually what God is going to do is to take the answer back to faith. In other words, your ancient faith, that, that faith that's thousands of years old, are you rooted in that? Are you simply trying to live by sight? It, it makes all the difference. For example, in the first chapter in verse 3, he says, this is Habakkuk asking God, why? See there in 1 and 3, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contentions arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Do you see? He's bold. Do you serve a God who is big enough to take your questions to? I'm talking about your hard ones. Your ones where, where you look at God and say, God... I don't understand why you're letting this happen. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand at all. Now, is God going to grow angry at him? We'll get to that in just a moment. What's your question? It's real simple. I see what ought to be righteous judgment. And instead of righteous judgment prevailing, it's always the wicked that get their way. And he used the word plunder to steal from and violence to cause pain. 
And every time you would think that the law of God would be strong enough that righteousness would prevail, he's throwing up his hands to God and saying, where's that strong law? Why is it that the righteous are going home stolen from and physically beaten down and the wicked are going home with extra money, extra possessions, and they're unharmed? Where's the, perver- where's the righteous judgment instead of the perverse judgment? Where's that powerful righteous law instead of what appears to Habakkuk, a law that has no power? Well, after he and God discuss just another set of issues in the first chapter, he says in the second chapter, Habakkuk does two and one, and this is where we see how it's okay to ask God why. You see, Habakkuk is asking God why. Well, let's just read it here. In the second chapter in verse 1, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he, God, will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. God has no problem us asking him anything as long as we're saying, God, I'm coming to you for the answer and when I'm wrong, I will humble myself before you and I will be corrected and admonished by you. You see the beauty? He throws out the tough question. But God, I believe you're big enough to answer the tough question. I'm too feeble. I don't understand it. I will be corrected by you. And just almost in a little bit of humor in in verse 2 and 3, God tells him, okay, you want an answer? You better get something to write because this is going to be good. And so he literally tells him to write it down. But for what we want to bring out is verse 4. Look back at the second chapter in verse 4. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. God challenges him. That's what God has never had a problem doing. Next time I feel like things are heavy that God puts on me, he didn't mind asking Noah to build an ark that would take 100 years to build. He didn't mind asking Abraham to raise a knife over his son that was bound on an altar to be killed. Listen, God's never had a problem of asking great things out of us. And what he asked him to do here is something that we all ought to do. He says, behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. That word behold is strong. To look at, to take in, not to take your eyes off of. You remember when John the baptizer saw Jesus coming? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Was John saying, hey, you might want to casually glance over there. I think Jesus Christ is coming. No, he's saying soak it up. Look at him. Don't take your eyes off of him. There's something you need to gain from looking in that direction. And now, you know those individuals that had plundered the righteous? They had had beaten down the righteous? God tells Habakkuk, you've been asking why? I'm asking you. You look at them again. You behold them. There's something I want you to see. What is the condition of their soul? Behold, their soul is not upright. You're going to tell me they're coming out ahead because they go home with some extra possessions and their soul is not right? And you're saying they're going home ahead? Do you see the power in that? Habakkuk, have you gotten that far off course? Which one? Which one is going home ahead? Someone that $100 has just been stolen from them. The one that goes home with the $100? Or 
or the righteous individual that goes home having been stolen $100 from him? Which one goes home ahead? Our fleshly nature would say the one that got the $100 goes home ahead. And God says, you behold the condition of their soul and you think again. What would you say someone has to do in life to top someone that their soul is righteous with God? You don't have enough money. You don't have enough accolades from man. There is nothing that is worth our soul not being right with God. I remember as a young man one time, an older man had some possessions stolen from him. And since then, I've heard this quote a few times, but the first time I heard it was from this man. And when I heard his possessions were stolen, I, I just, in conversation, I said, I hate that so much that, that those things were just taken from you. And they're pretty valuable. And he said, son, I'm just thankful I was the one stolen from and not the one that has stolen. That's what God's answer is. Which one do you admire? Do you admire the ones tonight that's living an immoral life downtown? Do you admire the ones tonight that have figured out how to embezzle millions of dollars? What's wrong with their soul? Why would you admire someone who is losing the only thing that matters the most? So what's the answer? Look at the answer in four. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That's the answer. The just shall live by his faith. But, but wait a minute, it looks like to me the just are being destroyed. What, physically or spiritually? You see, that's the big difference. The just shall live by faith. And that statement is so powerful that the Holy Spirit found a way to put that in the Bible at least three more times. I'd like for us to look at one of those times, and that's in Romans the first chapter. Romans the first chapter. We have the great book of Romans, the beginning of it, a verse that many of us know very well in verse 16 that leads into this being in verse 17. Romans 1 and 16, it'll be on about 999 in the Bible that's in your pew. And he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now I would like for you to think for just a moment of that transplanting. We have lived our life based on past experiences in the world. And so if we are still connected to the world, we live today based upon those past experiences. But someone says, you can be saved. What does that mean? It means to be set apart from the world. And so now we've been transplanted, and now we have a different past. Because now we've been saved by what? The gospel of Christ. There is a good news that takes us back to Jesus. And so now because our past is different, our today is different, and our tomorrow is different. And so with this in mind, it brings us to 17 where he says, For in it, he's still talking about the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. And here he quotes God from Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. I don't know for sure 
if this is a play on words to intentionally give double meaning, or which is meant because either are powerful lessons. I'd like to believe it's both. If you're spiritually dead, how do you become alive? The just shall live by faith. You're dead spiritually and it's through Jesus Christ that you can live and become new. For example, really Romans 1, and you've heard me say this in the past, Romans 1, 2, and 3, it's really just one long passage to show the sinfulness of mankind, but there has been given a wonderful solution. Chapter 1, we see a lot of sins listed in the last half of the chapter. Chapter 2, we see even religious people of that day that were speaking the truth, but they were living a lie. And so he calls them on the carpet on that. That's why he says in the second chapter in verse 11, there's no partiality with God. In other words, just because you stand up and teach a powerful Bible class, but go out and live some other way, don't think that God's going to excuse you and say, oh, I'm letting you off the hook because you were a Bible class teacher, or because you, you come from a lineage of Christians, or because you give so much money. We, there's no partiality with God. We're all going to stand and be judged by the same judgment. And that's what comes out of the end of the first chapter and all through the second chapter. And so then that leads us to the third chapter and in verse 10. For as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The third chapter in verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see how this is mounding up. There's something terrible happening. What is it? We are all guilty of sin. Nobody is righteous. And somebody says, you know what? I'm living in the world, and I'm coming to an understanding that the wages of sin is death. I look to my past, and I'm connected to sin every day. I'm on a course of destruction. How do I get off this course? How do I become transplanted to a faith that saves? You see verse 24? Look at those key words. Justified freely by whose grace? God's grace. We're on that path. The redemption that is where? It's in Christ. It's that heritage in Christ. And notice the propitiation in 25. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. Skip down, if you will, to 26. To demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has what? Faith in Jesus. You want to be just. I I don't want to be condemned. I want God to look at me and say, you're just. But my past links me to sin. I want the Lord to forgive me of that past and I want Him to set me on another course where my past is connected to the blood of Jesus. Those who have faith in Jesus, what's going to happen? The just shall live by faith. Here I'm spiritually condemned. Here I am saved. Faith. I can live. I can be saved. But there's a play of words there. Now that I'm saved, how do I live? Well, now I'm on a new course. Now that I'm saved, how do I live? The just shall live by faith. And so every day, I get up to live a life that is connected to this faith. We really see both of these mentioned in Romans the 6th chapter. Flip over just another page or two. Romans the 6th chapter. Look in verse 4 and 5 here. Therefore, we were... This is Romans 6 verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ 
raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk, that's our conduct, in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, that's when we're spiritually dead, like he was physically dead. He says, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So here, how are we going to live? We're going to live by faith. Why? Because just as Jesus Christ was given life again, the Lord saves us and gives us life. He places us on this course of life. But then we say, how are we going to live? He says, you walk in newness of life. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Do you see how all of this, how are you going to be saved? I'm going to be saved through this history that goes back to Jesus, the Savior. How are you going to live your life each day? I'm going to live my life based upon this conduct that goes back to my Savior. What's the worst kind of amnesia? Forgetting the Lord. Spiritual amnesia. Where we literally forget who we are in Christ and we move back to this relationship with the world. And I'd like to close this lesson and extend the invitation by reading just a verse out of 2 Peter, the first chapter. 2 Peter, the first chapter. It'll be about 1,079, I believe in the Bible that's in your pew. 1,079. Many of you will recognize this passage because we have the virtues that are listed in 2 Peter 1, beginning at verse 5, where we give all diligence, you add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, and then perseverance, and then godliness, and then brotherly kindness, and then to that, add love. But now notice this in 9. For he who lacks these things, so he's talking about this life that, that we're to live where we're living this way because this is what the Lord has taught us to live. We're living by faith. And he says, now anybody that lacks these things, Anybody that's not living this way, notice this, is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten, what? That he was cleansed from his own sins. See how he links behavior to salvation. You mean to tell me you've stopped living the faith? Then you have forgotten what it was to be saved. Because when you know your history goes back to Christ and that you're saved, you're going to live it each day. Have you had amnesia? Have you forgotten your salvation is in Jesus? And yes, Jesus, He has a religion. He has moral laws. He has ethical laws. He has standards that He wants us to live up to. But let us never separate those from Christ because then they're so hollow. Then there's no salvation because it's not the law that saves. It's Christ that saves as we submit ourselves to Him which is identified through His law. Tonight, I hope this is one of these lessons that this is just the beginning point for you to think about. This is one of those lessons that as I studied it, I found myself over the last few weeks thinking a lot about this. 
and just realizing the impact it is in our life to recognize we're not just tied to something today. Oh, I'm a part of such and such religion, and it's just a moment in time. Brethren, you and I are Christians, and we're tied in our faith back to the mind of God before Adam and Eve was even created. That's powerful. That's encouraging. That helps us know who we've been, who we are, and the eternity that waits for us tonight. Do you remember who you are? Your faith. Do you really remember who you are? Satan wants us to forget. He's good at getting us off track so that we forget. And tonight, if there's anything that's been studied that's helped you remember and and there's some kind of action that you need to take, we'd love to help you and encourage you. There's not anybody here perfect. We are all on a journey of faith. We're all trying to go back to the Savior. We're all trying to make sure that we're walking by faith because the just shall live by faith. Tonight, if you need to be baptized in Christ, tonight, if you need to be restored, tonight, whatever you need to do to be faithful, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.